Welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. This episode is going to be the first in a new series where I'm basically going to do a deep dive into the most iconic eras throughout history. This first episode, however is an interview with a good friend of mine and author of a book called Hell's Half Acre. It's Susan Genesis. <laughs> and this episode, as you would have surmised from the title, is all about the iconic style of the cowboy. Now, I've chosen this because basically it's a look that we all have supplanted in our minds when we think of the Wild West, of the Gold Rush era, and the cowboy look has very distinct patterns that we all associate that time in American history and I think that's fascinating. And Susan is one of the best people I know to talk about this with because she is an expert on the history of the Wild West and the American frontier. Her book Hell's Half Acre, The Untold Story of the Benders, a serial killer family on the American frontier, was published this year and is a fantastic read if you're interested in the Wild Wild West, in the history of cowboys, the history of the American frontier and also if you're a lover of true crime and of sort of gory grisly murders which I'm sure a lot of my listeners are (laughs) as my Halloween episode proved and so with that in mind I wanted to talk to Susan all about the fashion of this time period and the clothes that people were wearing because it's such an important part of this time period and it really played a part in the way people lived their lives and of course it came up a great deal in her research for this book as you'll find out when you listen to this episode according to the blurb of her book it is a suspense-filled tale of murder on the American frontier, shedding new light on a family of serial killers in Kansas whose horrifying crimes gripped the attention of a nation still reeling from war. Fab. (laughs) As always, do follow me over on at Silhouettes Podcast on Instagram because I'll be sharing some pictures to go along with this episode so you can have a look at those while you're listening and there'll also be more information about Susan there and you can follow her page and things like that. But without further ado, let's get into it. Iconic Era's A Deep Dive Into The Cowboy. Susan thank you so much for coming on today we're just going to talk a little bit about wild west cowboy fashion and you seem like a very good person to talk about <laughs> this way. I would hope so <laughs> because of your book which is all about the American frontier if I'm not wrong you are absolutely correct and also sort of the nastier elements of the American frontier yes the nastier elements it's interesting actually because when I was writing the book obviously you have a very specific idea of what the West looks like. I mean, it's one of the big kind of iconic periods in history. And obviously a lot of the fashion from that period still influences a lot of American fashion in particular. Yeah, that's so true. So I grew up, I'm sure as many people did, watching the kind of like Technicolor Westerns of like the 50s and 60s, Mm. um, which really when you look at the clothes, they're kind of, they're more like rodeo fashion. So they're like cleaner copies of original Western wear. Yeah, yeah, okay. Especially with the women, mm. just 1950s dresses made slightly longer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you see that a lot. I grew up loving um, Calamity Jane was always one of my favourites. Yes. And yeah. that's really funny because that's not something I picked up on, obviously, as a child when I watched it. But when I look at photos or watch it now, I'm like, it's just so, <laughs> of that time period, there's just like sprinklings of it everywhere I think they do it very well in that film actually Calamity Jane's outfits for example are really like cool merging of masculine and feminine kind of wild west fashion yes yeah particularly the other women yeah the other women so are you wearing a Dior like you're like that's just a 50s dress with a little bit of more ruffles and then you make it western exactly I mean Calamity Jane's a very interesting kind of figure to look at in the way that she's dressed in media Mm. Um, because I always think the best representation of how she actually kind of presented herself as in Deadwood Mm, um, where she 
very much is wearing men's labour clothing. Mm. Um, you've got the layers, you've got baggier trousers. She's obviously wearing some older military kind of accoutrements because of her time with the army. Um, and I think it's interesting to compare like where she very definitely is presenting as masculine mm. versus something like the Hollywood Calamity Jane, yeah. where she's obviously like in quote unquote men's clothing, but in a very kind of feminine way. Feminized way, yeah. And her hair is still, you know, bleached. Exactly. And very, quite 50s really and like properly styled. And you just think it wouldn't have, <laughs> wouldn't have looked like that. No. <laughs> I, well, she was famous for being quite raggedy yeah. and unkempt. Um, and I think that's why she like was obviously kind of taken in by her army regiments mm. but in quote-unquote polite society mm. um she was very much treated as a more masculine figure mm. um especially on like the wild west circuit she was kind of someone very separate from other performers like annie oakley who really yes. capitalized on their feminine appearance and then that's always really interesting because Calamity Jane was a woman who was actually out on the frontier, who experienced a lot of trauma, mm. who kind of really lived the life that lots of other military figures were. And then Annie Oakley had no experience of the actual open frontier. She was very much style over substance. <laughs> yes. and I, But she managed to create this kind of perfect Western woman brand, yeah. which is very interesting. And I think you see that kind of perfect western woman in that's what kind of translates to these 40s 50s films mm. none of these women have dirt on them no they're all spotless. basically those clothes have come straight out of the trailer or exactly <laughs> straight to their bodies onto set yeah I do think the movies played a really big part in the iconography of this kind of era for fashion because obviously you look at the original photos and it's, you know, so recognisable this time for fashion. But do you think it is the movies that really supplanted this image or was it kind of popular before that? Um, I think it's really interesting, actually, because I think the West is actually one of those periods where it's not... You obviously have this kind of western wear which is slightly more fashionable and less practical but actually the shapes are not that far away from what they were originally mm. and this you know the idea of the cowboy the various people you've got on the west like when you look at original pictures from the period the silhouette is very definitely there yeah. it's already being used in marketing at that time you know you get these beautiful illustrations of cowboys and you know like pioneer families and stuff that's used in marketing kind of back in the East. Um, and so this really romanticised idea of Western clothing is already going on sure. at the same time that people are, you know, desperately struggling to build a life mm. out West because it plays into this wider narrative of progress um, and the idea that, you know, you're civilising parts of this country um, and with that comes very well-dressed people yeah, yeah. who, you know, sew all their own clothes and all of that kind of stuff, um, when obviously the reality was very, very different. Um, so I think the movies kind of bolstered that, but it was very much already there. Mm. I mean, you do see it, like I said earlier, at the rodeo. The rodeo is one of these places where, as the cowboy kind of drops out of like practical culture out west sure sure yeah it starts to appear more and more in performances of western culture okay so you have the cowboy figures at the rodeo you have state fairs where and the cowboy becomes this kind of real symbol of just america mm. and i think we don't over in the uk we don't necessarily have that except maybe like with the queen you obviously know that that's the queen yeah yeah i can't really think of anything that is directly comparable because the cowboy like that looks really just sums up american history doesn't it you know people use it as the token image of America so much and that's really interesting that they were kind of aware of that at the time that it was happening as well <laughs> like it was a conscious yeah. choice yeah and I think you know you see these huge brands that obviously still produce that kind of clothing today like Stetson and Levi's yeah, yeah. Um, they're all tied up in this idea that the cowboy for Americans is the perfect distillation mm. of the American mm. dream like this is someone who's free who builds their own life who's kind of in touch with the land but also revered stylish mm. obviously kind of hyper masculine you're looking at at that point in time yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I think he, like the figure of the cowboy is also very interesting because it's very much used by people across the political spectrum. Mm, yeah, you're right. So you've got performers like Orville Peck and Il Nas X who sort of embrace the cowboy as an LGBTQ mm. figure. And then obviously you've got people who are a lot more right-leaning, who look up to men like John Wayne and that type of cowboy. Um, and I don't think really there's another figure like that that just has the imagination of everybody. Yeah, it kind of transcends all different d- groups, doesn't it? And it's quite unisex in the style. You know, you could you get people like Dolly Parton, for example, who have taken the general silhouette, but, you know, made it pink and glittery and all these kinds of things. But then, yeah, you get people like John Wayne as well, who really take that same image, but it can be really catered to whatever it is you want. And I think that's actually really interesting. Yes. And I think especially with women, I mean, when you read about um, women on the frontier, like there was a lot of women wearing men's clothes because you just had to. That was kind of Mm. within the towns. Obviously, you've got a bit more of a traditional Mm. fashion structure. But as soon as you hit the open prairie, um, the work's just so hard. And there's obviously a lot of horseback riding and all of that kind of stuff that trousers and men's clothing is just the more practical option. Um, And you're also looking at women who are sewing Mm -hmm. clothes for the whole family. So people are mixing and matching within their family groups, within Mm -hmm. their communities. I was reading, as soon as they started making jeans, as we know them, they were also making jeans for women. So there was like a knowledge that already women were also in need of these items of clothing. So not a lot of female, like in my book, one of the female outlaws, when they're on the run, she wears exclusively men's clothing because not only is it practical, but it also disguises her. Mm, True. And you see this quite a lot with them. female outlaws they embrace this like masculine persona the one of the last famous outlaws is a woman called pearl hart um and she's photographed very much in like these beautiful crisp blouses and suspenders and men's trousers and she's always standing in a very masculine way and i just think that's really interesting because obviously we have very specific idea of what men and women are out west yeah and particularly in american history you know you know the two images are very distinct yes all around the world i guess and i think a lot of that also comes from the marketing i mean you do like i said you have these illustrations of like the prairie family yeah yeah and mom is always in this like you know like a beautiful kind of prairie style dress that she's sewn herself and that obviously that's another item of clothing that's obviously very in vogue at the moment there's lots of prairie dresses everywhere and was in the 70s as well it always comes back (laughs) exactly and I think that speaks to also the practicality of that item of clothing you know it is something that you can function in as a woman it's very wearable these kinds of dresses yes like the fact that you can still wear them today shows how practical they were because I'm not seeing people walk down the street dressing like (laughs) 1870s London you know with all the hundreds of layers and the bustles and the corsets because people just wouldn't nowadays it's just not something that would happen whereas it's yeah it's interesting that these dresses can have these kind of renaissance moments because it's like well it's practical (laughs) i can still wear it yeah and they you know they have especially the prairie dresses have the flounce in them that kind of imitates Mm. the layers but obviously when you're out on the frontier it's not practical to wear 100 layers so they sewed in these flounces to imitate the more high fashion clothing but actually made a much more practical garment um so and i think it's interesting as well like lots of um, religious groups in america kind of they you know dress their women in these very conservative prairie dresses as well um so i think that's a really interesting it's kind of not as iconic as the cowboy look but for women it's sort of a piece of fashion that's kind of stayed in the popular consciousness the whole way through and it's kind of sistered to the cowboy thing you know it's sort of they they have a similar general vibe about them i think can't put my finger on what it is but you can tell that they're sort of part of a a group a time period you know yes and I think especially these days, you know, you see prairie dresses styled with cowboy hats and cowboy mm. boots and with more masculine elements. Um, mm. So it's it's kind of like, and like you said, women obviously wear a lot of cowboy inspired, more masculine clothes too. And I think it's interesting to see them kind of merge together. Yeah, that's true. I guess it depends on personal choice as well. Like some people are happy to you know, wear the more traditionally masculine stuff, whereas some women still want to wear skirts and want to wear dresses, you know, but 
still want to have the you know sprinklings of all masculine stuff so I guess maybe that's why it's still so popular because it is so I don't know transient you can really pick and choose what suits you from it yeah I think so and also it even down to so when they were made traditionally they were made in quite dark fabrics or patterned fabrics Mm. um, to hide the amount of dirt that you'd get covered in basically Um, and stains and all that comes with living on a homestead whereas now obviously lots of prairie dresses are much paler they maybe have lighter patterns and I think you see a lot of that obviously in the 70s as well yeah the Laura Ashley kind of style <laughs> yes very white and frilly and is it a dress is it a sofa yeah, like, <laughs> that kind of <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it's really interesting to look at the garments as representative of like where the American culture is as well mm. you know obviously so much of it is now city-based. There are these huge areas of country where people still, but also still very much live. Mm. Like when we went to Kansas, we visited places where it could have been 1940. Was this research for your book? Yes, yeah. So the where the crimes happened was in a place that at the time where the crimes happened. That mm. <laughs> was a real like boom town so all these places on the frontier they're growing you know thousands of people are coming in lots of people are moving through you've got railroad workers you've got a more traditional middle class Mm. you've got doctors you've got lawyers and then you get like the oil boom Mm. so all this money comes in and you start to see more high fashion pieces on the frontier so people might have clothes sent over from places like New York or even from Paris if they've got the money yeah that's so interesting yeah you see these like hybrid outfits Mm. um where there's like the practical need but also you've got a bit more money so you can show off your wealth but these places also collapsed into nothing very very quickly and obviously the people who could get out did Mm. but now there's lots of people who can't escape these is that they're essentially on their way to becoming ghost towns yeah and the way that big agriculture has affected places like Kansas as well means that the kind of small family farm has just been swallowed up by a bigger company which then uses machinery for everything and I think that's also why you see people have a real affinity for western fashion because it reminds them of a period like where it was very affluent where everything was kind of on the up and up where that clothing represented progress yeah and a peak time in their family history maybe you know it's like this is what my exactly wore and and he was on the up so it kind of yeah has a positive yeah and I mean so much of it still you know you've got people there who that period of time stood in living memory you know they were children when these places were full of life and they've kind of watched that disintegrate over actually a very short period of time it's a really interesting period to me actually because for such a long time I don't think I actually knew the dates of when it was because it was such an iconic era it just kind of existed in its own little time period you know or Egyptian and Roman and things like that you kind of they just exist as these iconic eras and you forget that they actually happened at this specific time period (laughs) when I was researching for the book I was really interested to discover that people basically considered the cowboy to be dead in its traditional sense by about 1900 yeah and you're like what (laughs) you're like oh I thought you know and then it moves into this kind of transitionary period Um, and I, you know, the West is mythologized kind of as it's happening. Yeah. I think partly because it was such a hard time to make mm. a life. But obviously, I mean, if you watch a film like The Revenant, mm. that's, that is set much earlier than something like the John Wayne movies mm. are. I mean, when we think of the Wild West, we're essentially thinking of kind of post-Civil War America. Yeah. That's what's most traditionally like, like... Early to mid-1800s, right? It's that kind of... Yeah, so I would say basically, that kind of time roughly, it would encompass most of the 1800s. The period that I was writing about is kind of 1870 up until sure. 1920. Sure, sure. But... Because pre kind of the Wild West, Mm. you have like fur trappers and people who people like Lewis and Clark, you have the more colonial period, um, which is obviously feels very different clothing wise. But there is this kind of slow transition in towards lots of people then moving west. And that really happens kind of around the Civil War and in the aftermath of the Civil War. Um, because the country is so desperate to kind of build itself back up after this 
absolutely devastating, hugely traumatic conflict. So I think that's why you see so many of these iconic figures come out of that time, because America's really focused on its identity and what it wants to present to the world, which you see through things like Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. That's obviously all about saying, hey, look at us. We've got this rich diversity of cultures because they involve indigenous people in the performances which is like not great Uh, the way they're represented of course but it's I think a lot of our ideas about what the wild west is kind of comes from those initial wild west shows Mm. and this kind of performance of early Americana okay and particularly in terms of the visuals as well I don't think I've ever watched one of those shows, whereas right now in my head, I can completely picture what it would look like just because I know exactly. the iconography of it so well. It's so like supplanted yeah. in my mind <laughs> against my will. Yeah, I mean, it's genius. It's genius marketing. I mean, and they obviously went all over the world, yeah, yeah. you know, with these tours. And so that was a lot of people before television and even radio and stuff. Like, that's what people saw of America. They saw cowboys, they saw Indians, they see, you know, women riding around on horseback they see people like calamity jane they see all these big iconic figures from that period Mm. uh, like in their hometown you know they just travel through britain through france and that was kind of the first exposure they go to the world fair Mm. a couple of times and they're kind of the biggest attraction there because everybody can't get enough of the horsemanship and they also you know they recreate these famous battles and it's real spectacle and obviously everyone's wearing very specific clothing yeah. um, to kind of contribute to that. And to make it memorable as well. Like that's probably one of the things that people came away yes. remembering. I imagine especially in the UK where the way we were dressing, as I kind of said earlier, was very stuffy, very regimented. Yes. So then seeing this kind of Wild West fashion was probably like, whoa, <laughs> this is just oh, yeah. something I've never seen before, you know, kind of looser, more simpler clothing. Yeah. And it's just a bit more informal and and it's tied into this very specific narrative. Uh, there's now kind of like narrative of heroics and progress. And, you know, like women are able to move about just as much as their male counterparts. And it's obviously, like you said, a big difference to how people in the UK addressing at that point in time. Because you forget it's the same time as what we know as the Victorian era. Yes. Like the the two images and the two time periods are so separate to me. Yeah. You know, they completely represent different things. And then you just you remember they were happening at the same time. <laughs> it's quite wild, isn't it? Like <laughs> Yeah. It is amazing actually when you think, you know, kind of what the fashion in like London society was like at that point in time. And then the way and there's some crossover because fashion is quite international yeah, yeah. in that sense. But it's just nowhere near the level of kind of like rigidity that you see in British fashion like all the American fashion is quite loose and the closest you get to British fashion is when you kind of move into the gilded age in places like New York Mm. um and I think that's really interesting as well the massive schism in fashion from the east coast to the west coast you know old money and new money maybe that you know has an effect on how people wanted to represent themselves they were probably looking to the UK as, you know, rich and wealthy and royal and wanted to emulate whatever they were doing <laughs> to kind of bolster themselves. Yeah, and I mean, that's when you see kind of all the American heiresses going after British husbands because they want that old money status. And that in itself is all really interesting because a lot of the money from those families obviously comes from out west and initially lots of the families would have been out there and then as you kind of go through the generational wealth they start moving back east because that's where status is more important and it's just not really practical to dress that fancy in the west so if that's something you want to do (laughs) if you're trying to present yourself as kind of like sophisticated um you need to move back east because people are going to think of you in that way if you're living kind of out in the wilds of Montana somewhere. Yeah, no matter how much money you have, how much gold you found, how much, you know, commerce you've got going on, if you don't look right for these, you know, groups of people, then it doesn't matter. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that um, Philip Meyer explores really well in his book, The Sun, um, which covers this like multi-generational family and kind of like what wealth means in these places where, you know, it's basically you and your labour force. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe occasionally you'll go into a city and then what does that look like? How well are you received by the people in that city? And I always think that's really interesting yeah because i don't think the cowboy look has much association with wealth generally no but actually that's probably quite far from the truth because i imagine if you were dressing that way and living in these wild west towns you probably had a lot of money yeah i mean it's it sort of depends really you've got the cowboys who are doing like the cattle drive who work for these big ranches Um, And that's a very transient job where you can make a good living and you could definitely kind of transition out of it into raising a family. But it's a job that's inhabited by lots of people who maybe just want to keep moving, who aren't ready to settle. There's obviously a lot of black cowboys um, who are looking to make enough money to then establish black communities on the frontier. And I think that idea of the the idea of the cowboy is someone who's kind of living hand to mouth. Mm. And also, they, you know, they start to get this, often there's a reputation, like maybe they're gambling, they like women, all of this yeah. kind of stuff. But actually, if you were working for one of these big ranches, you often weren't allowed to drink. You were under very strict, like, return hours. Yeah. If you were caught misbehaving, you'd just be booted off because you're part of this wider workforce. Yeah. But in places like Texas, of course, these ranchers, they dress kind of, they dress like cowboys, but they're actually the ones managing the cowboys. Mm. So they're kind of dressing in a higher status way than their workers. So they're emulating that kind of look, but it's with better quality clothing and stuff like that. (laughs) And so when they go into these towns, yeah, you're obvious. It's obvious that you're a rancher, but it's also obvious that you're not like a cow hand. Mm. Mm. That's so interesting. I guess we don't really see that now you know we don't know the kind of intricacies of it but the fact that you can have the same outfit but there'll be so many small details that will level you up you know make it clear what which <laughs> which separate sphere you're from that's just something I haven't really ever thought about to be honest I kind of yeah that's interesting <laughs> yeah and I mean you see like it's it's you know all the different things like with it'd be different fabrics different type of buttons you know we have this very specific idea of like the pearl button mm, yes 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 um on the western shirts but that's not anything that somebody actually working as a no. cow hand because why would, would be you wearing <laughs> because it's just not <laughs> exactly like the yeah, cows don't care no <laughs> it doesn't mean anything yeah. so you have kind of like the practical clothing and then the more I guess ceremonial clothing mm, mm. like maybe what you might wear to a cattle auction to associate yourself with like a specific rancher um, with a specific job and I think they explore all of that really well in Yellowstone I think that's why that's been such a big hit in the states because it's such a kind of like interesting look at obviously what running a ranch these days looks like and it's got that kind of old west feel to it But it's looking at the fashion of like everybody in the family. You know, you've got the patriarch who's very much like a rancher, but also very well dressed. Mm. And then you've got the son who's a lawyer who nobody likes, you know, and he's wearing a suit. Whereas the rest of the family are wearing much more traditionally practical masculine clothing. Um, And I think that's, you know, it's like he's very obviously the odd one out. Yeah, he stands out from that. Yeah. Yeah. He's not traditionally masculine in the American sense. Not holding up the values that they want people to see. Exactly. And I think, I mean, we see these tropes repeated across all sorts of Western, like neo-Westerns, films Mm. like Hell or High Water, to obviously like films like Hostiles, which are very much set during the period and do a really good job of showing like the actual fashion that people were wearing to then yeah like more kind of showy westerns where everybody's clean and hair and makeup's perfect and all those waists are cinch right in ready for a dance number (laughs) (laughs) when I was writing the book I came across a lot of information about men's clothing and sort of how that was used in like identifying different bodies that were discovered because women were sewing clothing for their husbands. So there's 
a bit where a woman comes over and they've got all the bodies laid out and she recognises he's so decomposed um, that he's not identifiable, but his clothing, she recognises the clothing that he's in, she recognises that she sewed it, and that's hugely important. But the one kind of women in the book, like there's not that much description of what they're wearing, except for... Kate Bender, who's kind of... So she's a member of this family who were responsible for committing all these crimes. Um, And there's a lot of debate about how physically attractive she was. Um, Within that kind of... She's described as a good-looking country girl. Mm. So there's great testimony from a woman who was a little girl who, like, interacted with her. And she describes how she was always very well-dressed, even though the family appeared to live in... Poverty. Yeah, yeah. Kate's described as wearing a lot of Eastern styled fashion. She wears these fancy hats. She's wearing clothes that she obviously hasn't made, that she's gone and bought somewhere. And that's kind of a really weird juxtaposition with like knowing the way that they lived. They live in a cabin. Lots of people report the cabin as essentially being disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, the big question was well, where are all these clothes coming from? Because, you know, the family aren't making enough money for her to be buying these. And it doesn't really make sense that she's wearing them. Mm. But she really wanted to be a famous medium. So she spent a lot of her time performing, whether people liked it or not. (laughs) She was like, this is my dream and I'm going to do it. (laughs) And you are all going to deal with it. And then I'm going to yell at you when you don't pay me. But she's obviously very interested in projecting a very specific image. As someone who's a bit more glamorous, who's a bit more sophisticated, despite kind of where she's living. Mm. And I think that's something that we now probably associate most with sex workers out West. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I know know what you mean. And this is definitely very much kind of through cinema. We have this very specific idea of what they call them soiled doves. That's like that was Mm. a colloquial term at the time, of what these women look like. And that's because in a lot of period dramas, they're presented as wearing these, like, beautiful corsets that are kind of, like, dripping and beading. Fringing and things like that. Yeah, and they're bright red. Yeah, and even in, you know, shows like Westworld, and I think that's a really interesting one because, obviously, that's a whole world that's created off the back of the myth of the West. Yeah, Um, yeah. So you see these characters in kind of... It's those skirts which are, like, hitched kind of in a Moulin Rouge style they've got lots of pleating they're in these like beautiful colors I know what you mean yeah they're longer at the front and then kind of hitched up ruched at the sides to show the leg and the gusset and all that kind exactly of stuff, yeah. to show a bit of leg and then maybe a nice pair of boots yeah, yeah and then yeah. the reality of most of these women's lives was that un like unbearable poverty abuse you know like they didn't really have more than one pair of clothes um it they'd all be sharing clothes they were often all quite ill Mm. from things like sexually transmitted diseases but also from things like tuberculosis um and it was a really a lots of sex workers during that period kill themselves um because the life is just so difficult and transient so brutal yeah and you know there's really kind of once you end up in it there's not really any hope of getting out of it yeah and I think it's really interesting that we've got this very specific idea that it was somehow glamorous Mm. and that's not to say that there weren't like often madams would be very well dressed Um, because they're obviously kind of the face of the brothel that they're running. Um, And in, you know, in some areas which were a lot wealthier, obviously you do see sex workers living in slightly better conditions, but that is quite rare Mm. because they often would follow where new mines opened. So that was the easiest way for them to make money. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, and lots of them also aren't working out of brothels. They're sort of working out of hotel rooms. And I think this idea of the of this kind of like empowered western sex worker um is very damaging and it's kind of like the saloon woman right yes you know this kind of idea of yeah that's a big yeah and she's maybe involved with like outlaws and she's a bit sassy and she's very you know like she keeps herself safe she doesn't need a man and i think that's that's quite damaging to like the idea of what it actually was and that's something I think when you, the Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, 
um, does a really beautiful job of looking at like how a young woman might actually end up in a situation like that and what it was actually like. And you see a bit of that in Steinbeck's East of Eden as well. You know, there are accurate representations out there, but we are so much used to the kind of Hollywood musical, like in um, uh, The River of No Return and Marilyn Monroe in those like beautiful kind of green corsets. She wears something similar in Bus Stop. Yeah. And for a very long time, I was like, oh, you know, this is so beautiful, so cool, you know, this kind of... It looks so cool, yeah, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, this like femme fatale of the West mm. and then you start, you know, actually reading about these poor women and you're like, and you're like oh, oh no. my God, this is oh, terrible. No. Yeah. Um, and Deadwood is one that kind of sort of starts to get that a bit right historically, mm. but it's still not quite there and then realistically in these frontier communities if you see a woman and she's wearing like rich clothes she is probably attached to a merchant or a lawyer but even then I mean the so one of the victims in my book he's a physician Mm. Um, and they're like the family reasonably well off because the rest of the family are kind of they're in jobs there's a lawyer uh, there's a senator but all the women in that family are dressed very practically because they're also living on homesteads yeah they're not living this kind of beaten down life you know that a lot of these saloon workers would have been living it's completely different to yes and also they're not wearing what their wife of a physician in new york would be wearing Yeah, yeah you know that's probably uh position where like you're wearing slightly nicer clothes you're not doing as much work but obviously on the frontier like Mary York talks about when her husband's missing and they don't know he's dead yet she's going out and riding around and like seeing his patients and settling Mm. his accounts these are women who are very used to kind of jumping into practical roles that their husbands fill kind of at any point the physical landscape completely changes you know the sort of clothes you're wearing you see that all throughout history but I think people do forget that sometimes particularly with the west like it was brutal (laughs) yes and I mean you know you're potentially walking miles and miles and miles in horrible weather they talk about people turning up frozen in ditches or you're going to get heat stroke I mean one of the victims who's found is wearing I got the description here so he's wearing it's described as common laborers wear and he's wearing a brown tweed coat, uh, an overshirt, a black and white undershirt, another undershirt, flannel trousers, jeans and socks. So that's a man who is out in very, very cold weather. Yeah, yeah. And he's prepared <laughs> just, for it and he's had to prepare for it. Exactly. The fashion side of it isn't <laughs> no. coming into play. Well, you're not, you're not even thinking about it. Like, you know, that, that doesn't even come into kind of what you are considering when you're getting dressed to go out and work in these conditions. It's basically, am I too hot? Am I too cold? Will I be protected from whatever I'm doing? And then you sort of work from there. And that does go for the women as well, really. The female side of it is interesting because... You know, like you were saying, it has this very glamorised image and particularly these 50s movies, I think, have really added to that. But in a way that I don't think the men's fashion, I I don't think it is glamorised in quite the same way. And maybe that's just that can be said for men's fashion all throughout history and particularly in Hollywood. But you really see this Hollywooded image of the cowgirl, (laughs) the cowgirl, you know, (laughs) being a phrase in itself. But you also get you know, famous singers and actresses like Dolly Parton, who I mentioned earlier, kind of really taking inspiration from this era, but making an outfit that is not practical, <laughs> you know, and is completely just for the look of the thing. I wonder how much people of the World West era would have, what, what would they have thought of that? You know, would they have expected their practical clothing to take on that form? I don't know. I think it's interesting because I think, like I said earlier, even as the West was kind of still wild, as it were, Mm. (laughs) Um, back East, there was a very specific, like, glamorous idea of what the people who were making a life out there looked like. So I think it wouldn't come as a surprise that maybe the clothing has been adopted by lots of different types of people to kind of represent this, like, very specific image of America. I think it's interesting with the male-female thing. I mean, I don't know if male cowboys would necessarily be super pumped that people like Dolly Parton are wearing that kind of... Yeah. um, Because obviously... (laughs) 
that is tied to a very specific type of masculinity during that period. Also things like freedom and a world that women were not perceived to be able to access. Whereas now, obviously, by wearing that type of clothing and by purposely feminizing it and stuff like that, you're kind of moving into a space that is traditionally masculine but also I think it does a good job of recognizing obviously women also played a huge role in these places and often I think aren't afforded there may be praise for you know their motherly looking after of homesteads and stuff like that yes the real matriarch image yeah yeah but I think the practical nature of their involvement in life out west is often overlooked because it doesn't, you know, these men needed to be seen to be sort of supporting the families by themselves. And that's why, I mean, that's why these pioneer families have so many children as well, because they obviously running a farm takes lots and lots of people. So a woman's quote unquote job out West is also essentially just to have as many children as possible. Um, Ideally as many sons, because that's who you really want working on the farm. So I think to see women these days kind of wearing this western clothing like it feels very empowering um because it is such a traditionally masculine look and I think especially when you think about it in terms of people like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood wearing these who are like obviously icons of you know the alpha male all of that kind of stuff and then to see women in that clothing is really refreshing Kind of like a reclamation kind of Exactly. And it feels like, you know, we are in this space as well. Like we're part of America. We can wear it too. And we're part (laughs) of that America. I think that is what's interesting about this fashion. And I think why it stayed so strong is because it is quite unisex. And it's also quite simple that you only need a couple of kind of strong pieces to instantly know it's a cowboy outfit. You know, you've got the hat, the boots and maybe the shirt and you just know it's cowboy straight away. Yeah, I mean, even honestly, like the hat is enough. You can wear a hat. Just the hat, yeah. Yeah, and people are like, oh, looking like a cowboy, you know. I Yeah, that's so true. When we were out there, I really wanted to buy a Stetson um, yes. because for me that's... It's also a bit easier to buy sets than it is to buy cowboy boots, as I discovered. Mm. It's a very specific (laughs) type of shoe. But wearing the hat, it's amazing how much you suddenly feel like you belong in that space. Yeah, yeah. You know, you feel less, weirdly, you feel less like a tourist. You feel Mm. a lot more like you are a part of kind of the performance of the West that everyone is involved in. I know what you guys are doing. (laughs) Exactly. I can definitely ride a horse. Not at all. Yeah, you think it would be the other way around, though, which is what's interesting to me. In my head, I would be like, oh, I'd feel like such a tourist if I, you know, came out wearing cowboy boots and a Stetson. I'd be like, everyone would, you know, be like, oh, su- you know, such a tourist. Well, I think so much <laughs> of that depends where you are. I think if you were yeah. to do that in, say, Kansas, people would yeah. probably look at you and be like, oh, okay. what are you doing? <laughs> Trying a bit hard there. Yeah, but if you were to do that in Texas you know, they sort of encourage that vibe because they, that's how they identify. That's the sort of look they identify with as a state. Obviously, they're very kind of hot on freedom and all of that kind of stuff. And there's definite faux pas you could pull. Like, I know there's certain hats you're not supposed to wear if you're not, like, if you don't actually have any, you know, heritage within cattle ranching, which is why, obviously, some of them are so expensive because it makes it inaccessible. Sure, sure. But I think the hat especially is so much a part of that culture, I think, in a way that they kind like, but they also do embrace it. I mean, you can buy cowboy hats all over the place in the States and you sort of put it on and off you go. Suddenly you're a part, and it's like you're kind of in on a joke almost, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Although I don't know if they'd necessarily appreciate that. I guess it's not too dissimilar to other spaces where I don't know in in Venice for example if you wear a kind of striped top and you know the gondoliers are wearing that too and it's kind of like ah yeah we're in Venice we'll do it you know that kind of thing it's 
space plays a big part in these things sometimes. Yeah, and I think social media has also had a big influence on that. I think people go into these spaces and they want to obviously post about them. They want to kind of match their look to wherever they're going, yeah. um, which I think we obviously see a lot with influencers will very specifically pack for their mm. destination because they mm. want to feel like visually they fit with it. They want to get the vibe kind of right, yeah. Exactly. And I think more and more as we see celebrities embracing that kind of Western style mm. to like fit in that space that is very much something that's encouraged. And I think, you know, you'd feel almost weird if you went out West and didn't wear some sort of hat at some point. Yeah. Because it just feels like that's something you have to box tick while you're out there. You do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same with the boots, I imagine. Like the boots are really iconic as well I think cowboy boots are really interesting because they almost feel like they're a bit more um like you can wear them with more stuff yeah than the hat because we don't know we obviously don't wear hats like we used to which is one of the great tragedies I know so when you're wearing a hat you're wearing a hat but with cowboy boots, I mean, I see a lot of like 90s style influencers wearing cowboy boots yes. all over places like TikTok and stuff like that. True. And they sort of become divorced mm. from Western wear because of the outfits that they're paired with. Whereas when you go to the States, people who are wearing cowboy boots are wearing them practically. Mm. They're mm. still very much used for riding. Um, They're still very much worn by people who work with livestock, Mm. but they're also, again, worn as a status symbol. So you have your working boots and then you have your going out boots. Yeah, okay. And then the boots you wear to church. Because they're expensive, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, Oh, my gosh. I mean, we went to some, like, more, I guess, like, chain places like Boot Barn. Yeah. And they're expensive but I was really looking for a pair of vintage cowboy boots yeah yeah. Um, and they're very expensive and they're very narrow like you have to have very slim feet to fit into the older cowboy boots I've noticed this with old shoes all the time for any era people have tiny feet (laughs) yeah and I mean I have quite small narrow feet so if I can't fit my feet into a pair of shoes I just think who's wearing these how small are your feet yeah yeah, like old Victorian boots even, you know, same time period. Yes. Yeah, people had such skinny feet. And also I think the pointed, when you get, you know, like original vintage cowboy boots, they're very, very pointed. They're not mm. comfortable shoes. Mm. And it's, you know, it's something you would buy and then wear for decades. You know, yeah. you maybe have one pair of boots your whole life. And, you know, like when you wear in any pair of expensive shoes, obviously the leather changes to fit your feet. Like Dr. Martens. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's very difficult to just, I think, buy a pair. Mm. But they're a lot more, I would say, ubiquitous, like lots of different people wear cowboy boots for lots of different reasons and then you can tell like a a really nice pair of kind of vintage boots is obviously feels kind of oddly reminiscent of a different era where they were worn like primarily practically Mm. instead of like to get married or go to Vegas or go to the bar or whatever getting married in cowboy boots (laughs) it's great I mean it's right up there with getting married by Elvis yeah (laughs) yeah or both (laughs) I wonder when and how the cowboy boot kind of became more of a fashion item than something practical because I do not see them as practical shoes at all like I would not I don't know if that's just me but I wouldn't associate them as work boots but obviously at one point (laughs) yeah I think they're they're such a you I mean primarily they were designed for riding that's why they've got the big heel that's why they've got the pointed toe like they're a boot that was designed for a very specific practical purpose yeah but they're obviously just a really lovely shape yeah and I you know I'm I'm not sure exactly when they kind of transitioned into more of like fashion wear Mm. but I imagine that's also connected to rodeo history yeah because obviously that's an event which does require a certain level of practical clothing Mm. but is also about performance it's a costume it's costume it is and it's one of those weird kind of items of clothing that is both practical and costume Mm. And I think if I, you know, when I wear cowboy boots, I feel like maybe I shouldn't be wearing them, that I look like I'm playing dress up because yeah, I definitely yeah. associate them more with a very specific type of Americana. Yeah, sure. Whereas 
if I go out in the street, you'll see loads of people wearing cowboy boots with loads of different outfits. And yeah. I think they are at the moment having a kind of renaissance and people are buying all these 90s ones, which I think is nice. I think it's fun. I mean, it, I was reading the other day that denim and jeans were considered totally practical clothing until basically James Dean wore them in Rebel okay. Without a Cause. And then everyone went, oh, these look cool. <laughs> these look really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they became kind of like a counterculture mm. look that young people were wearing. And then obviously everybody wears jeans now. Yeah. Whereas back in the day, they were designed for minors. Yes. Because they were a tough item of clothing that was obviously very riveted together and then kind of transitioned into wider agricultural wear for both men and women. But it wasn't a fashion statement. You wearing jeans wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't wear jeans on if you were going on a night out or something because they were practical. No, no. It would make it clear that you're a manual worker, kind of. There's a man who I'm obsessed with, and his name is Britt Easton, but he's called Indiana Jeans. (laughs) And basically, he goes into mines and into these old Dust Bowl towns and looks for jeans, looks for original denim. Um, So he'll, like... It's so interesting. And then, so he'll like do... I think I might have watched a YouTube video on him. Yeah, I think he was in something my dad edited, which is how Mm. I came across him. Mm. But he will do a bunch of research about a specific mining town. He'll look at old adverts to get an idea of what might be down there. Yeah, You know, town inventories to see kind of who was selling what. And then he'll go down into these places looking for these clothes. And I mean, some of the pieces he has, sort of original from 1880s, Mm. are just incredible. But he talks about, you know, you find them stuffed into scarecrows because they're just an item of clothing that's been around since whenever. Um, And people, they're obviously worth so much money now. Yeah, they're they're worth a fortune, aren't they? Yeah, but people, you know, wouldn't necessarily realise that they were worth anything because it's just an item of clothing that's been handed down through the family. I think the same can be said for a lot of old clothes if it's something your family has had for some reason it doesn't seem like it's worth money because you're like that's just my grandma's dress or whatever (laughs) but I imagine the same is the same can be said for clothes of the west that we kind of like you said it's very um mythologized I think that's interesting but if it was just your great granddad's pair of jeans you'd be like that's just his jeans you went to work in these it's not like it's not a big deal at all (laughs) especially with practical clothing I think maybe things like you know wedding dresses or suits are treated slightly differently but you know no one's going to think twice about like grandpa's overalls. No, but actually that's the stuff that is cool and can be worth the money and kind of gives you more about that time period. Yeah, that's the stuff that's really important to fashion history as well because obviously, as I'm sure you know, working class fashion often gets overlooked. All these pieces are what helps us learn about what, you know, working class people were wearing, which is obviously very different to what, you know, the people who owned the ranches were wearing. Yeah, yeah. That is quite fascinating about Western fashion or Wild West, you know, frontier stuff, is that the two kind of have become quite merged. You know, it's just the one general cowboy outfit. And in your head, everyone was just wearing that no matter what status you had or what job you had. That was just what people wore. Whereas actually, like we said earlier, there was probably a lot of small details that that were very different about these clothes that we forget about. Yeah, and I mean, I think it it obviously completely depends on your job. If you take a mining town, for example, the miners are going to be dressed, or the prospectors are going to be dressed very differently to the people who own the mines, who are going to be dressed very differently to the people who are running the general store. And there's certain, you know, like similarity. And again, this is what Deadwood does really well. Mm. I need to watch that. (laughs) It's so good. But from a historical perspective, because, you know, it really should, everybody's kind of like dirty because the town's growing around them. Mm -hmm. But there's a real mix of really beautiful clothes because obviously this is people coming in representing interests from the East who are dressed very well. Mm -hmm. And then you've got local officials who are dressed very differently. And I think, you know, the cowboy, what the cowboy looks like has become very... There's like a collection of men's tropes. You know, you've got like the sheriff, you've got the outlaw, you've got the cowboy. And they all kind of have a very similar feel to them. Because ultimately, if you were doing a job like that, you would be wearing similar clothing. And then it comes down to what type of hat are you wearing? What type of coat are you wearing? That's really how you begin to distinguish between those groups. Mm -hmm. But they do look very different from the miners 
from local officials as well. And to bar owners and even things like that, you know, the fashions can be so different. Physicians, you know, they're obviously dressed very differently. Yeah. So you, it's, it's nice to see productions where that's acknowledged because yeah. I think sometimes everybody just wears yeah. the same thing you've got jeans a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and you're good to go <laughs> yeah and, you, and then you kind of see these productions and you're like oh no nobody's really looked beyond the kind of no one, peripheral yeah. aesthetic of this into what you know everybody was actually wearing yeah this is one of the problems of being interested in fashion history is so many of these things are ruined because you're like well her hair wouldn't have looked like that or this wouldn't have looked like that because you get to know all the small details and it just really ruins things for you well I think especially with hair as well hair is so often just wrong it really gets forgotten doesn't it I've noticed that too and you're like actually it was one of the biggest parts of of fashion for so many time periods you know Mm. and it just like anything in the I don't know 40s and 50s if they've got straight hair I'm like no (laughs) even now like I know that's why lots of people liked Emma with um Anya Taylor-Joy because it had Mm. the proper weird hair in it because people had weird hair people did weird yeah (laughs) and I think hair is kind of like one of the last bastions of like because obviously like we were saying western wear in 50s movies for women is very glamorous and the hair's all perfect and they've got their pin curled hair yeah (laughs) exactly and we're getting much better with the overall outfit but we're still not very good at the hair because Mm -hmm. I think we still have a very modern idea of what attractive hair looks like so if you suddenly put a period hairstyle on a woman that makes her a bit jarring (laughs) to look at obviously yeah yeah. like why does it look like that like because it would have done that's just yeah it's just how it would have been then it kind of reminds me of um have you seen back to the future three no i have not sadly that's obviously set in the wild west he goes back in time to the west oh mm. have you you should watch it it's pretty fun he turns up in like this super 80s pink purple glitzy cowboy outfit and everyone just looks at him like he's just gone mad and he's like, well, I'm just wearing like cowboy suit. And everyone else is kind of dressed quite more period accurate. And I that always stuck out to me because I thought it was really funny. <laughs> you know, they make such an effort with that it. That is exactly, you know, what it would be like. I think yeah. they would be really surprised by the level of glitz. Yeah. So I'd be like, why have you got that? <laughs> you don't need it. Yeah, that's become a... Ta- like, yeah, why are you wearing that? You can't work on a farm in that, you know. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's just, you look stupid, yeah. But yeah, you should watch that movie. He has like a pink and blue shirt. I mean, I think it looks great, but he looks so jarring when he actually goes back in time. It's such a perfect microcosm of like how the fashion's developed. Because obviously today, people who work in these spaces have similar, you know, the actual day-to-day fashion has not changed that much which is incredible when you think about it. But obviously the idea of the cowboy has changed a lot. Yeah. And kind of, I think especially you see country music's obviously had a big impact on that because country musicians like to dress up in these kind of exaggerated Western styles, like we were saying about Dolly Parton. And that, again, is kind of like one of the big things that internationally people see about America and what the cowboy Mm. is and what Western wear is, because obviously country music is a massive export. Yeah, yeah. So the next book I'm writing, the showgirl at the centre of it, she was famous because she had a cowgirl outfit. And that was like the big outfit that she wore. She had a big hat and she had kind of like rhinestone cowboy outfit. And then she had these six shooters. And some people really liked it and other people thought it was really offensive because she was, you know, making fun of cowboy culture. Kind of appropriating it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Sort of like poking fun at it. And, you know, again, I think it's like women wearing clothes that are traditionally masculine. Like, is that somehow emasculating for men to see women in these outfits that are traditionally practical and then they're wearing them for a purely aesthetic purpose especially for a time period that very much was men and women had their roles I mean not everybody you do get people like Annie Oakley but nowadays the lines are so much more blurred than I think we realize compared to you know the 1800s yes absolutely and I think even you know like you can go now to Zara and find like a little fringed cowboy jacket yeah that yeah. is maybe has a couple of elements of this a thing that maybe Calamity Jane would have worn back yeah. in the day except she was wearing men's clothing yeah. so you know the all the elements on that are for things like camouflage and all of that and then mm. 
but it's still such a recognizable piece of clothing that jacket with the fringe you put it on and you feel like oh yeah wild west i'm in the west now (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like yeah yeah. and then you know if you choose to pair that with cowboy boots and a hat you are very much you know paying homage to that look but what exact look are you referencing yeah which one yeah yeah are you referencing rodeo fashion or are you actually referencing pioneer clothing Mm. I think it's all so interchangeable and I think it's like what you said it's so unisex especially these days like anybody can wear the cowboy look um, sort of in whatever way they want and that's why it's so kind of beloved as a fashion look it's available to anyone really yeah and it also I think does just represent this iconic persona you know somebody who is totally free to do what they want which obviously was not the case but that's how they've always been portrayed in literature and cinema and in songs all of that kind of stuff and so to dress like that feels like you're part of this wider kind of mythology Mm. and I think that's quite exciting you so much for listening everybody i hope you enjoyed this episode and i hope it shed a little bit of light on the history of the cowboy and the sort of clothes that we associate with the cowboy and the wild west there was a few things i learned here that kind of enlightened me to that that i didn't know about and i hope you enjoyed this interview style episode do follow susan on all her socials it's just susan genesis on twitter and instagram and things like that and do follow me on instagram over at silhouettes podcast and i'll share all these things there too and like i said at the beginning i will share some really great photos to associate with this episode but i hope you loved this episode as much as i did the next one will be coming in a week so keep your eyes peeled for that it will also be an interview episode with a very fun collab with another podcast but i won't spoil it yet until it comes out (laughs) so yeah keep out for that and stay fab everyone i'll see you in the next one